Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Pastor Erwin Raphael McManus, and just wanted to thank you for listening. In case you didn't know, I just released a new book. It's called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And you can order it today at thegeniusofjesus.com. So it's early on still in Christmas, and you're probably somewhere in the uh, first 10 percentile of getting your Christmas presents. Right? I, I, I'm kind of curious, how many of you are early, you're already completely done with all your Christmas shopping? Wow, now is that because you're really good at buying presents early or because you don't buy anybody anything and so you're like, I'm done, like, you know, I pretty much don't do anything. So and, uh, how many of you have not even started yet? Okay, all right, all right, here's the question. How many of you have spent more time looking for what you want? <laughs> come on, come on. And then what other people, oh, yeah, come on. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, is that phase one to make sure you're, you, know, you can help the people that love you, that love you well? <laughs> and, uh, I always thought Christmas is one of those interesting times when, when it comes to gift giving because there's a whole spectrum of gift giving people, right? I mean, some people are really good at gift giving and they're very specific. I feel like I'm very good at gift giving. It's like, it's one of my superpowers. I'm very, very careful. I give uniquely. And, and some of those too, when I would travel a lot around the world when the kids were young, at first I would always try to bring them both something back. But then after a while, I would only bring them a gift back if I felt that the gift was really like for them. And it was not always easy for them to understand, you know, why did you bring Mariah a gift and not Aaron? It was harder, you know, if it was Aaron. And I said, well, I saw this and it just, it just spoke to me. It was from Ryan. I didn't see anything that spoke to me for you. And, uh, and, uh, or I brought something for Aaron, not Mariah, or something like that. And, and so at first it was about fairness. I just want to make sure everybody got something. But after a while, it just became about uniqueness and finding those guests and those moments that just express something about that other human being. But have you ever, do you have a friend that gives you gifts that they want? You know what I'm talking about? You know, and it has nothing to do with what you want. It has everything to do with what they want. And I mean, I have that spectrum. I have people, you know, who just give me things that, you know, they want me to want. I mean, it's sincere. I want you to want this. And have you ever had to fake wanting it? Oh. <laughs> I've always wanted this. And, and then other people, um, you know, they give you the generic gift. We, we would get, how many years, honey, did we get that giant apple, the caramel apple? I don't know where they grow pumpkin-sized apples, but every year somebody would send us that. I'm like, who does that? It's like, you know, I mean, who says, I want all my friends, the people I care about deeply, to have a giant caramel apple? I don't, th I don't think I ever had a bite of that apple, and it would just keep coming every year. It was like it would haunt us. And, you know, and who, who, gift giving is sort of one of those unique things that sometimes you get things you want, sometimes you get things you need, sometimes you get things you didn't know you wanted or needed. And I, I had one Christmas gift, I think it was last year, last Christmas. I, I, I didn't even know, I, I got something I didn't even know I wanted, but, I, but the moment I saw it, I knew I wanted it. Because anybody who knows me knows I, I love design and fashion. And so I opened this up. And I never knew that Virgil, who just passed away, and a great loss to all of us, uh, I didn't know he made a bathrobe for Off-White. But Eric and Tess Roy bought me an Off-White bathrobe. It's like, 
I always wanted that. I didn't even know it existed. I was like, I knew, like, I'm always like, see, that's the kind of gift giving that I want to encourage and uh, go beyond what people expect. Give them things that they didn't even know they wanted. And I started thinking about how hard it is when you have to fake it. Right, that gift, you, you know, that, isn't it terrible when they give you the wrong gift and they are watching you open it? Like, you know, no, 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 do it right now. You're like, no, I'll open it later. You know, no, and, and then you have to learn how to be actor of the year when you get that gift because you got a gift you didn't want. And the problem sometimes is that we want gifts we want, we don't really want gifts we need. Which, by the way, goes down to the, all, all, all the Christmas tree organization. I, I'm sort of like the organizer. And so I put all the gifts that come for Aaron and all the gifts that come for Mariah and all the gifts that are for Jake and all the gifts that are for Kim and all the gifts that are for me and all the gifts that are for Juno this year. And uh, she's gonna have the largest section. Oh, and that's the best time when they just want the box. All right. It's not the same at like 29. You just, I brought you this beautiful box unless the box has like a brand and it says something inside. And, but, and then, you, then we have the Kim and, Irwin and Kim section, because people give gifts to Irwin and Kim. But I know every gift that's for Irwin and Kim is actually for Kim. Like, <laughs> it, it's, it's where I just put it right by her section, because it just, it just acknowledges it. It's, it's, you know, no one ever looks at it and says, oh, I want to buy stuff for Irwin and Kim, and I think Irwin wants a kitchen appliance. I, I, just, I just know that's what really warm his heart. And, uh, and so whenever I see Erwin and Kim, I just put it in her section. because it's for us. I go, honey, you know it's not for us. It has my name on it because we're us. But when they were buying it, they were not thinking of us. And, and I started thinking about how Christmas is one of those rare times where we kind of like everything about Christmas, but we may not actually like what's at the center of Christmas. See, I, I think that we all lo love Christmas. I loved Christmas even when I didn't know anything about Jesus. Didn't you? I, I mean, I think we have the, I'm not trying to be biased. I just think we have the best holiday. I do. I mean, I know Hanukkah is awesome, but I just think Christmas is like better. I just do. I think, like, because I have Jewish friends who tell me, I love Christmas. I just love Christmas. I know I'm not supposed to. It's because it's like, we have better marketing, you know? It's just like, Christmas is just better, right? You know, we have the lights, the trees, we, the sleighs. I mean, we got Jesus. If you want to do Jesus down low, you got Santa. I mean, we just really do this whole thing. We play it all up. We got elves. We have Will Ferrell. I mean, we do. It's like we have Elf, and he's just the best. And, and I think, and we have the best Christmas movies, probably written by a lot of Jewish people, but, but they wrote the best Christmas movies. And, and so we have massively great marketing for Christmas. But I, I think a lot of us, we want the gift of Christmas, but we don't really know if we want Jesus. And I think that's the dilemma, is that, is that Christmas is the gift we want, but Jesus is the gift we need. And, and sometimes I don't know if we understand why we need the gift of Jesus. And I start thinking about how Christmas is around this whole concept of giving and and yet sometimes I don't know if we understand that what God has done in human history wasn't for him. Like he didn't buy a gift for himself. He didn't say, you know what I really need? I, I, I need a son to take on flesh and blood and become a human, that's what I need. See, God did not need to step into human history and take on flesh and blood. God did not need to be born of a virgin for himself. God did not need to walk among us as a human being. God did not need to 
band together 12 guys and try to begin to bring a revolution to the world. God did not need to suffer. God did not need to die. We needed him to do all that. I think sometimes we get confused. We think that God does all this for himself. And, and honestly, some of the Christian narrative about Jesus, it sounds like that. You know, it's because God's all about his glory and God's all about his fame. Let's make Jesus famous and let's you know lift him up and let's just make him bigger. And I'm like, Jesus didn't do any of this for himself. And in case you don't know, God did not need to step into human history to take on flesh and blood, to live a sinless and perfect life, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead. We needed that. It wasn't something God needed for himself. It was something that we needed from God. And so then I saw this passage in Isaiah chapter nine and and I was struck by this particular phrase. I want you to listen to it. In Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. It says, for us, for to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And I've read this passage a thousand times, if not 10,000 times, but two words struck me uniquely this time. For to us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he wants us to understand the intention of everything that we'll ever hear about the person of Jesus. Everything that we'll ever understand that God has done through Jesus has had one direction in its intention, and that's to us. If you want to personalize it, it's to you. This wasn't the gift that God needed. This was the gift that you needed. This isn't the gift that God needed us to celebrate. This is the gift that God knew we needed to be able to live life the way we were created to live it. And he says, so to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And then, he, and then he lays out this little description, and the governments will be on the shoulders, and he will be called, which is another kind of interesting dynamic because usually when we care about what we're called, it's really about us. It's about our ego need. And, and this is the opposite with God. I mean, have you ever had someone who demands that you call them something? You know? And when I first was here in, in L.A., people would always want to call me like Pastor Irwin or some old school people, Brother Irwin or Reverend Irwin, and I'd just say, hey, I'm just Irwin. I'm just Irwin, I'm just Irwin. And, and then people around the world started calling me just Irwin. And because I would say that so often. And then other places that were a little more bougie, you know, they'd say, you know, they look at my degrees and they want to tell people I had degrees, or they want to say, oh, well, this is Dr. McManus, and I would say, no, I'm just a patient. And uh, because I realized that titles are all about our ego. So people can know what we've accomplished, how important we are, how you should relate to me, because I'm different than you. But when Jesus takes on titles, it's not about his ego, it's about our need. See here, he tells us this is what he will be called, not because he needs to be called this, but because we need to understand that this is what we need from him. So even though Jesus isn't really the gift that Many of us actually want first. 
We want the things Jesus can produce. We just don't want the Jesus who can produce them. But we need to realize that that there are things that God unwraps in us about himself. See, the beautiful thing about having a relationship with God through Jesus is that who Jesus is gets to be unwrapped inside of you. So so he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, maybe it's just LA, but whenever I hear the phrase Wonderful Counselor, I almost just go into default mode, Wonderful Therapist. Right, because, you know, I mean, we're the city of therapy, you know. And if you're not in therapy, you're not trying, right? You know, and, and, and there are some people here who have multiple therapists. You have, like, you have, you, you have your therapist therapist that's just you. Then you have, if you're married, you have your marriage therapist for you and you. And, and then you have your, your business therapist, your life coach. And, and then, of course, you, are, you go on social media and you pick up 10 other therapists who help you. Now, I want you to understand that even though Jesus cares about you and even though therapists can be awesome, Jesus is not a therapist. There, there's a difference. I want to talk about that. And, and if you're a therapist here, you can DM me. And, uh, but, uh, but here's the thing. My understanding is if you're a great therapist, you never tell people what to do. Right? Like a great therapist lets you go through a process where you discover what you need to do. Right? So they're just, hmm. Right, that's, that's how a therapist works. And, and you walk out going, I figured this whole thing out by myself. Why do I even pay her so much money? That's why. Because <laughs> somehow it was in that room that you figured it out. But great therapists help you kind of process yourself and help you discover what's going on inside of you and unwrap that, untangle that. But, and even though that's important, that's not what Jesus is. He's not the wonderful therapist. He's the wonderful counselor, and there's a difference. See, Jesus isn't just there to help you process what you should do. He's actually there to share his wisdom with you so that you can know what you should do. And there is a huge difference. I was at this dinner one time with my friend uh, Edwin Noriave. He has this great little place and, and, uh, down at the beach and we had a couple of business guys there that I was meeting like for the first time and we're kind of hanging out and this one guy named, I think David Metzer said, hey, you know there's a difference between a coach and a mentor. We're all like, of course we do. He goes, you know what the difference is? And you go, what is it? And, and he said, a mentor gives you the best of themselves, and a coach pulls the best out of you. Oh, that's good. I need both. Right, what about you? Like, I, I need both. You see, see, a lot of us just want a coach. We want Jesus to be our coach. We just want him to pull the best out of us, which, by the way, he does. See, in fact, Jesus is such a good coach, he knows what's inside of you that you don't even know what's inside of you. He knows the greatness in you that you may never be aware of. He's such a good coach that he will actually introduce you to yourself, to your best self, and say, this is who you're created to be. Now let's become that. But not only that, but Jesus is a great mentor. Okay. Thank you. Thank you right there. All right. Okay, I'm just going to say this. You know, you can take it any way you want, Okay. We have to decide, okay? We have to decide if we're gonna be a white church <laughs> or like an off-white church, okay? You know, we do, because like, because like, if we, if we don't decide, it feels really awkward. <laughs> so we have to decide like to be all in and go crazy or just like be Presbyterian and be quiet. We have to decide, so we're gonna do. Because otherwise, I'm just going to ask that one person who clapped for me to stay. (laughs) 
But you see, what, what Jesus is, he's not just a coach who pulls the greatness out of you, but he's also a mentor. Because he gives you the best of himself, and he gives it to you free. And I think the challenging thing sometimes is we just want God to be our coach. Pull out the best in me, but don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Don't tell me where I need to fix my life. Don't tell me where I need to adjust. Don't tell me, God, where I'm moving into self-destructive behavior. I don't want to hear that. And what the scriptures tell us is that Jesus would become our wonderful counselor. He would be ever present with us. And as long as your soul is moving in alignment with God's wisdom, you and Jesus are going to have a really easy flow. But the moment you start moving out of God's wisdom, he's going to become an irritant to you. Like, God, get off my back. I don't want to hear that. So think, I think a lot of times the reason that, that we have it, a, a kind of a mixed relationship, even with the scriptures, is we love the Bible when it says what we want it to say. We just don't like it when we disagree with it. So you have to decide in your own life whose wisdom is the final authority, your own or God's. If I climb a mountain, and I may not be a great mountain climber, and I work my way back down, and there's a great mountain climber at the base, and he's never climbed that mountain before. He's better than me, but he's not more experienced than me. And what can happen sometimes is if you're better, you don't want to listen to the person who's actually been there. And I think that's a part of the, the reason so many of us live in destructive relationships and destructive journeys in our life. Because we're, we're, you may be more talented than the person who's been walking with Jesus, but it doesn't mean you're wiser. And some of you, you think your talent is the replacement for wisdom, but it's not. If you don't learn to listen to the voice of God in your life, you will never move to the level of being fully alive that Jesus intends for you. And so the gift that Jesus gives you is wisdom, whether you want it or not. When he comes into your life, you may just need forgiveness right now. You may just need to feel the, the freedom from guilt and shame. You didn't know you were going to get wisdom as a part of the package. But when you open up the package and Jesus comes into your life, the wisdom of God becomes his gift to you. But not only just his wisdom, but his strength. And he says, not only wonderful counselor, but mighty God. Which to me is kind of like a little redundant. If you're God, of course you're mighty. And yet there have been people throughout history who have thought, what's going on in the world? How can God be all-powerful if there's so much suffering in the world? And so some people finally conclude, maybe God is good, but he just isn't powerful enough to fix things. And God wants you to know that he is powerful enough to fix every crisis and every dilemma in your life. That he's there to meet you, but the, the challenge, of course, in the mix of that is that many of us don't turn to God's strength until we have no strength of our own left. And so this becomes almost like this bizarre relationship with God where we think God's just trying to like break us down to get us weak so we can finally trust in his strength. You do not need God's strength when you're weak. You need God's strength when you're strong. Because God's strategy with you isn't, I'm just gonna let you get weaker and weaker and weaker until you just finally realize you can't do it without me. Because that's actually moving you from your worst to average. What God wants to do in your life is he wants you to teach you how to be strong, to live in your strength. 
And then to realize that what he has called you to do is so far beyond your greatest strength that you need his strength to live the life he created you to live. So yeah, I have moments where I go, God, I can't make it today. You have moments you just feel so weak. Like God, sometimes I just need you as like my oxygen mask where I can just breathe deeply because I'm barely making it. But if that's the only time you access God in his strength, you're missing the point. When David went to war against Goliath, it wasn't a weak day. It was his strongest day against an opponent too strong for him without God. What I hope for you is that you begin to discover the strength of God in your strength, not just in your weakness. That you would see your strength as weakness because your strength isn't enough to live the life Jesus created you to live. That's the gift he wants to give you. Not just his wisdom, but his strength. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. The moment I, I read that and set it off my lips, I felt a little controversial. Everlasting father. Because, well, it uses the word father. I remember one time years ago, this uh, young woman came up to me, pretty heated, because I, I, I talked about God as father. She came up, she goes, why does the Bible talk about God as a father? And she just went on, just on a rant about why not mother, why not other, you know, but not father. Just went on and on and on. And, and finally, when she took a breath, and she had deep lung capacity. And uh, <laughs> when she finally took a breath, I looked at her and I said, I know it's hard to believe, but back then, fathers were popular. <laughs> she goes, what? I said, yeah, you know, it, it, was, it was like a positive thing to say father. She goes, really? And I realized her whole life experience about fathers was negative. And so when we talk about everlasting father, what happens is we start thinking about ours. And for many of us, that's not a good memory. I mean, even yesterday, I mean, I'm 63 years old, and yesterday I was, I was thinking, well, my friend's going to El Salvador. Maybe I can get him to hire a private detective that can figure out who my father was. I, I've never gotten past wanting to know who my dad was. I, I, I thought I would grow out of that. I'm a father and a grandfather, and I still, I still want to know who my father was. I just, I just, I, I was on 23andMe, the DNA thing, trying to find my paternal, I know all about my maternal line. My mom's there, I wanna, and I just try to follow this paternal line, I try to break it down, I try to understand it. Anything, I, any clue, I, what is it inside of me that needs to know who my father is? I mean, after all, he wasn't there, he chose not to be there. He could have come back, he could have showed up. I mean, I shouldn't want to even know, except that somehow my identity and my value is still connected to that. See, maybe one of the things we don't realize is that God designed us to find our identity and our value in him, which is why, by the way, he's your everlasting father, because he knows that our temporary fathers don't really meet up to the standard even when they're doing their best. And your identity needs to be in one who's everlasting, who goes beyond time. And, and so when I tried to explain to her that fathers used to be a, a, like a good idea, and it started striking me how 
You ever try to solve a problem by pretending the problem doesn't exist? That's what we've done with the language of fathers. We just don't believe fathers can be good. So we're just trying to eliminate the language of fathers. And you know, the best way to change the standard with God is like, just call him everlasting mother. Cause you know, moms have done a pretty good job. I'm just gonna say, you guys have held up. You know, you've, you've proven the test of time. Thousands of years are on your side. And I get it. But instead of saying, oh, God shouldn't be called everlasting father, maybe we men should step up and go, we should be better fathers. And, and you know, yeah, but I'm single, I don't have kids. Yeah, but you can still be a dad. I don't mean go have sex, have a baby. I'm saying <laughs> that you can still be a father to someone who desperately needs a father figure in their life. You can still invest in someone and build into someone and care and, and help be a source of identity and value for that person. And we don't you know, feel comfortable talking about it in our society, but I'm telling you, a lot of your identity struggles, a lot of the reasons why as successful or talented or gifted or smart as you are, a lot of the reasons you still struggle with your identity is that you have a broken relationship with your father. And it's because we're not designed to live our lives apart from the people who created us. We're designed to know our value from where we come and who we belong to. And when God becomes your everlasting father, he solves the problem for eternity. Maybe you have a great dad, maybe you never, didn't know your dad, or maybe your dad wasn't worth knowing. But wherever you are on that spectrum, you have an everlasting father who will always give you your identity, who will always give you your value, will always tell you who you are because you belong to him. And you may not realize it. It may not be the gift you want, but it's the gift you need. Because we're in a time in society where everyone's trying to find their value by connecting to something that's so secondary. Because I am this and I am that and I am this and I am that and, and you're with me if you are and you're against me if you're not. And the truth is that we are so fragmented in our own identity that we have no room for anyone else. You, you know why we don't have long friendships sustained and deep? It's because you don't even know who you are. So you can't even introduce yourself to someone else because you don't know which one of you you will connect them to. And when you connect to Jesus and he becomes your everlasting father, he begins to build an identity in you rooted in who he is, not in who the people around you are, what the world is telling you you need, or even what you think you need this moment. So he gives you wisdom and strength, but he also gives you identity. Wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father. Oh, that everlasting thing is a little bit of a problem. Because, you know, one of the problems with having an everlasting Father is he never solves the problems the way you want. Because sometimes I'm just stuck in time, are you? Like, I just want God to fix this problem right now. See, part of, I think one of the shortcomings of God is that he has an eternal perspective of everything. So you can't convince him, this moment is the most important moment in my life. Fix this, now. Like, the guy's like, I'm looking for maternity. It's just like a tiny little dot. Like, you're, you're like you, you, you think it's huge, but it's, like, it's just, it's, 
I, I missed it. I mean, it's like it's just a blink in time. You go, no, my whole world is falling apart. I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think it's just a speck on the whole spectrum of eternity. If you could just see it from my perspective, I don't want to see it from your perspective, God. I want you to be drowning in my perspective. I said, no, I'm your everlasting father, so I'm never going to get you out of your pain with a strategy that will put you into more pain. So you think a lot of us, we run from our problems to more problems. We run from our pain to more pain. We run from our disappointments to more disappointment. And if I could just say this, I think there's a lot of singles in the room. Like an example of this would be, you're, you, you're running from being alone, so you go date the wrong person. Because it solves the problem, but it makes it worse. Or you're so desperate to not be alone, you marry the wrong person. Because you see, we have a tendency to run from pain and it runs us right into deeper pain. If you are running from suffering or running from pain or running from a negative emotion, you will run in the direction of devastation and destruction in your life. See, God will never do that. He'll never say to you, okay, I'll fix this temporarily so that you'll be okay. But it's gonna get worse later. God looks at the whole long term and he goes, nah, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna get through this and we're gonna make you better and we're gonna send you on a path that makes your life better. And and just one last thing, and I I know this is not like a typical Christmas message. And Jesus was born in the manger. And I just think you need to realize what Jesus is trying to give you that you might miss because of the lights and the trees trying to give you his wisdom and his strength and his identity and his identity and his identity. Listen to me. He's also trying to to give you his peace. And he'll be called Prince of Peace. And I'm always captured by the peace part and not so much the prince part, but today the prince part got me. Because I want Jesus' peace, but I don't always want his rule but he only brings peace where he rules. And if you won't allow Jesus to rule in your life, don't expect him to be able to give you the peace that you long for. So on Friday I had a crazy thing happen and I went over to get some blood work just for some tests and stuff like that. And they always do this, these procedural things that are just, you know, they don't mean anything. So they always it's say, okay, we're gonna do your blood pressure. I kinda love when they take my blood pressure. Because I have like a superpower. My blood pressure is so low that they think I'm nearly dead. And, uh, and so usually when I get, like they go to insure you every year, they give my blood pressure and they'll do it three or four times. They go, this can't be right, this can't be right. The machine might be broken. Because my blood, because normal humans, you normal humans, and, uh, are like at 120 over 80, but I'm always like at 105 over 65. It's like, and they'll give it to me and go, you should be dead right now. And I, this is me. Like this is like, this is my zen, is my low, my low blood pressure. I'm like in my flow state, right, you know. So, when, and I don't know why, but I've always been proud of it. It's not like I did it, I, maybe I did it, you know. And I, I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of superpower attached to my low blood pressure, you know, and, and my calmness or something, you know. So I go in and they give me my blood pressure and they, they have that look every time. They had that look of, are you dead? 
except I didn't realize this time it was, are you dead? Because it was at 179 over 112, and it was so high that if it was one decimal over, they'd been running me to the hospital. And I, I knew there was a problem when she said, let me get the doctor. It's never a good sign, you know, because I thought you were a doctor. And, uh, and so, you know, and I realized, oh, they sent the other person, not the doctor doctor. And so then the doctor comes and they're like, hey, you know, just sit down. And they try to have me seated in a way where I would be calmer. I felt pretty calm and they did it again. It was still like spiking super high and, and they got really nervous and they, they go, okay, we have to do an EEG to see if you're having a heart. Do you feel, are you numb? Is the left side of your body? I'm like, I'm, I'm good. You know, I, she goes, are you feeling okay? Well, I was feeling great until a minute ago when you told me I was dying. And, uh, and you know, so now they're checking me out with all these nodes to see if I have a heart attack and everything like that. And I'm going, wow, this was not supposed to be this. And then they asked that question I hate. I hate this question. I don't know if you ever get this question. Are you under stress? <laughs> I'm under life. What are you talking about? I'm not under stress. Well, are you, are you on the same planet? Anybody here under stress? Of course I'm under stress. I, 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 of course I answer like, well, no more than usual. Because every day is a day full of stress. I mean, I'm alive. I have a job. I'm married. It is stressful, right? I have grown-up kids. I have a granddaughter. Uh, we come out of a pandemic, coming out of quarantine, we have mosaic, we have, you know, we have so many things that we have going. Yeah, I'm under stress. But I don't think of it as stress, I think of it as life. And, and then he put me on some medication, and the medication was worse than the high blood pressure. It was like loopy, and I'm like, wow. Look at, you know, look at life. You know? <laughs> By the way, I'm on the medication right now, so I don't know how it's going, but... Uh, And it really struck me how the peace that Jesus gives us can be so elusive even when you believe in Jesus. Like it shouldn't, shouldn't it be, I give my life to Jesus, peace out, right? It's like, you know, it's like it should just be easy, right? But it's not. Oh, yeah, that's, I, I was just at TED a few months ago, and one of my friends that I've been going to for years, we got to know each other there, he said, hey, do you remember 10 years ago when they, because they always give us these gift baskets or gift packages with bags and everything, and some things you have to activate, some things that are just activated for you, and he goes, do you remember 10 years ago they gave us this thing we had to activate? I said, what, what, what did you tell me? He goes, you know, the Bitcoin. I said, I said what? <laughs> what, what? And everybody at the table said, what? He goes, yeah, they gave us all Bitcoin. And and he goes, I made so much money. I checked on it 10 years later, and I, I have all this money. And, and <laughs> we all said, like, they gave it to you? Goes, no, no, they gave it to all of us. It was in our package. And I said, and I said well, maybe I still have it. He goes, no, no, you had to activate it. I said, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I didn't even know what Bitcoin was. No one knew what Bitcoin was. You don't even keep your coins. It's just a bit of coins. I was like, what is, how could this be important? And then, what do you mean activate? How do you activate money? 
He goes, yeah, I don't know. I just happened to activate it. Didn't know what it was either. I just checked back on it. It's doing really well. <laughs> I said, can we activate ours now? He goes, no, nah, it's discontinued. And I'm like, no. Oh. That has nothing to do with my talk. I just needed to say that. <laughs> because like, I'm going through personal therapy right now. And, oh, except for this, except for this. Um, see, maybe the peace that Jesus has waiting for you has already been given to you, but it just hasn't been activated. Because you keep trying to do this on your own. You're trying to do life by yourself. You keep trying to prove you don't need God, you don't need people, you don't need church, you just don't need anything. Maybe you just keep getting mad at God because he's not giving you what you need and he keeps saying, if you could just open up the gift and activate it, you'd be amazed how much is waiting for you. I want you to know that his wisdom is waiting for you and his strength is waiting for you. His identity is waiting for you. And his peace is waiting for you. But he's not going to activate it. That's on you. If you come to a moment in your life, a decade later, and you realize, oh, wow, I had all of this all the time, but I just didn't treat it with value. That's on you. And so maybe this Christmas, it's time to realize that Jesus has come to you. That all this was done for us. That a child was given to us. That the Son of God came to us. That forgiveness came to us. That freedom came to us. That Jesus came to us, for us. And he's just waiting for us to respond to him. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment, just close your eyes. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus with your life, this is the best time to do that right now. Maybe you've thought about it or struggled with it. Maybe you've hesitated. But if you've never crossed the line of faith and given your life to Jesus, right now I just want to invite you just to pray a simple prayer and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not a ritual. It's not magic. It's just an invitation of relationship to the God who loves you, who created you, who knows you, who died for you. So right now, if you would just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, that's the beginning. Jesus, I give you my life. Just acknowledge that Jesus came for you for you. Jesus, I give you my life. There may be some of you here that you've done that. You've opened up your life to Jesus in the past, but you do not have an activated faith. And because you haven't activated your faith, you're living without God's wisdom, without his strength, without his identity, about his peace in your life. Maybe right now is the time to say, Jesus, I want to activate that faith and make it real right now. Live my life for you, with you.
in you. I'm going to pray, and if you're here and you would say, hey, today I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I'd like for you to pray for me, I just want you just right now, just raise your hand and let me see you. Beautiful. Anyone else? Wonderful. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, all around the room. So good. So good. Father, I pray for those who in this moment have crossed the line of faith and just in a simple prayer have given their lives to you. I pray that, God, you would wrap them up in your love and let them know they belong to you, that you will never leave them or forsake them. And even when life is hard and they feel alone, you are right there, just a breath away. And I wonder if there's some of you here that just feel like your faith has been inactive and right now you need to make a choice and activate your faith and let God's wisdom and his strength his identity, his peace be activated in your life. And right now, I just want me to pray for you that your faith would be activated in a new way. I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to see you. I want to pray for you specifically. Beautiful. Father, I thank you for the women and men who in this moment have said, I want to activate my faith. I don't want to just sit dormant in my life. I pray, Jesus, you would be more real to them than life itself. I pray that you would be the core of their identity. That before they were anything else, that their identity would be rooted in you, Jesus. That they would begin to discover your wisdom for their life and your strength for every day. God, that they would have their identity and value rooted in who you are and who they are in you. And that God, that you would begin to still the chaos within them with your rule as the prince of peace and bring peace to their life. I thank you, Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.